Well, good morning, New City. My name is Mary March. I'm one of the pastors here. It's been quite a week. Personally, as a church community and as a city, many pastors, many Minneapolis pastors or pastors all over the world are rewriting their sermons. They're re-recording them as we pivot to address what's going on right now in our nation, in our city. We're not doing it perfectly, but even though it's messy, stay with us. We're in the midst of a pandemic and life has not resumed as normal. We're in the midst of a nationwide crisis and state of emergency and unrest here in the Twin Cities and elsewhere. Uh, We're aware that we're living in a very pivotal moment in time. So maybe you've shown up angry, frustrated, grieving, exhausted, heavy, confused, lamenting, or afraid. Me too. You know, um, the sermon I had was very different from the sermon I now have. But I think one thing that I was going to name earlier, and I want to name now, is that I am so deeply grateful for New City Covenant Church. About 10 years ago, John and I prayed and felt led to plant New City. We started in the St. Louis Park Rec Center, Easter of 2010. At that time, we only had two kids. Josiah was four, Mercy was two. And I can't say we quite knew exactly how to plant a church, but we had a vision. We had a vision of what kind of church we wanted to be. We had a vision of what we felt like God was calling us to do, to be a church that embodies embodies grace and truth where healing can happen where we're honest and truthful about ourselves and our shortcomings, and then we're gracious to everyone who comes and we love them with the hands and feet of Jesus. We called ourselves New City because we wanted to be a community like described in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A town, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we know when light shines brightest. It is in the darkest of times. New City refers to the future kingdom of God, the multi-ethnic, the multicolored nature of the kingdom of God that is outlined for us, a visual in Revelation 7, 9. It says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. 
I love our church. I love our community. I love the welcome. I love the kindness. I love how when new people come through our doors, they feel like they're ready with family. I've seen the thoughtfulness of the people of New City step up when people are in need, when people have passed, when people are sick. I'm so deeply proud of our church. I'm grateful for how you guys stepped in and checked in on my family this past two weeks as John has you know, been going through some health stuff. I know you are with me. I know you are for me. And so as I was praying about our passage today, 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 27, I was struck by a few things, thinking about our community, thinking about the body of Christ, or just even our own physical bodies, how it works and how it doesn't work. You know, as we age, we recognize sometimes things break in our bodies. They get injured. We feel pain. Uh, not too long ago, I tore my meniscus in my knee, and I was in pain. I was in pain. And I was struck by how I didn't know that tiny piece right in your kneecap area mattered so much. I no longer ran. I could no longer keep up with my four-year-old at all. Uh, just standing for long periods of time in the day was so hard. And it was only at that moment that I realized how important every little piece of my body matters and how caring for every part of my body matters. And so when I read 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 27, I'm reminded that God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, that it would work together, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. I might have said to my knee, this is kind of hard on the rest of my body. I might have said, I wish you would get better quicker. But I knew that if my knee didn't get better, my whole body wouldn't get better. I knew that if I said, you're fine. Stop complaining, me. Just get with it. This is inconvenient to me. I would just have injured my knee further. So I did the right thing. I went to the doctor. I got checked out. I asked for help to know what to do. And when I got that scan and I met with the physical therapist, the physical therapist said, we're going to need to strengthen the rest of your body to make up for what is torn. We're going to have to strengthen all the muscles around your knee so that it will protect your knee. So that though you are still injured, the other parts of your body will carry you and will hold you.
We do ignore parts of our body that hurt sometimes, but it, it catches up with us. I love the welcoming prayer where, um, you know, before you go right into the prayer time, if you've done this with me, sometimes I say, recognize the part of your body that's hurting right now. Acknowledge it. Say, I see you. And say, what do you need from me? If you have a headache, you ask your head, what, what do you need from me? You're acknowledging the pain. So, knowing what I know about you, New City, and knowing what I know about scripture, I'm going to bring up a deep hurt we have in our body. We mentioned earlier this past Monday, something happened in Minneapolis, here in our Twin Cities. It was a tragic situation, and a man's life was taken from him. And that man's name was George Floyd. He was my age, he was 41. And he died and he was being held for a non-violent crime. Something that is, what, forgery, tax evasion. I can think of a whole bunch of other crimes that go along right with that. It doesn't deserve what he got. This was unnecessary. This was a modern day lynching. I'm gonna say it. In the midst of crisis, what happens is that the underlying issues in a society or in a body is revealed. When our body is hurting, it shows. And it's not saying that that hurt is like all of a sudden new. A lot of times it's been there for a really long time. We just couldn't see it. But the curtains have been pulled back. In the age of smartphones, we're seeing them now. I've heard people ask, is this just an isolated incident? It's actually a constant condition. And it's been that way for hundreds of years. There's a man-made valuation of those made equally in the image of God. There's a Will Smith quote a fellow pastor mentioned yesterday. He said, Will Smith said, racism is not getting worse. It's getting filmed. There are so many more that have not been filmed. Minneapolis remembers Jamal Clark, Philando Castile, George Floyd. We remember Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner. There are so many more. I want to pause, though. I want to say you've heard a lot about the tragic minutes before and after. You've heard the analysis. You've watched the riots and the burning. I want to tell you who he was and what he did before May 25th, 2020. I want to tell you about his life. George Floyd was rather tall. He was 6'6". People called him Big Floyd. He was known as a person of peace. His closest friends called him a protector, a provider. One who helped reconcile. 
One of his close friends, Stephen Jackson, who was a former MBA, MBA player, said he didn't have a hateful bone in his body. He was a father. He had two daughters. He was a believer. He was a brother in Christ. He was a servant. He would help haul baptism tubs and chairs for worship services. He regularly attended Bible study. People called him reliable, trusted, and loved by all who knew him. Past five years, he worked the same job. He rented a home from his boss. All his customers remembered him as kind, happy, a gentle giant. He came to Minneapolis because he relocated as part of work training, a work training program through church. If you go on Christianity Today, there are three articles about Floyd. One is by Dr. Dennis Edwards. Another is by Dr. Ed Stetzer. And another one by Kate Shelnut. In the article by Kate Shelnut, she recounts that in Houston, when he was living there, they knew him for how he lived for the decades before May 25th, 2020. He was a mentor to generation of young people, a person of peace, bringing ministries to areas that, that didn't exist. He worked through a Christian work program and spent his entire life almost in the historically back third ward area. Everyone called him Big Floyd, and he was regarded as an OG, a community leader, an elder statesman. He would talk to the young people about breaking the cycles of violence. He used his influence to bring outside ministries to the area to do discipleship and outreach, particularly in the area known as the BRICS. He lent a helping hand as the church put on services basketball tournaments, barbecues, baptisms. He would tell the youth growing up in the bricks of Houston that God trumps street culture, that he wanted to see young men put down guns, that he wanted them to have Jesus instead of the streets. So he was, he was our brother. And I know right now that there are a lot of black brothers and sisters here in the Twin Cities who can barely speak because of the unspeakable pain and trauma. And I have been convicted. Silence is no longer an option anymore because my silence deepens their pain. And if one part of the body suffers, then we all suffer. I recognize it's scary to be out there on the streets of Minneapolis. Literally, things are exploding. Buildings, lives, sanity. The pain cannot be contained. The dam has broken. It feels like we're coming apart at the seams. So first, we need to pray 
And then we have to decide not to be silent. Decide to stand in solidarity wherever you are. Decide to teach your children. Decide to teach yourself. Decide to lead courageously. It's about human life. It's about the assault on the Mago Day. There's a song I heard this week. It's written by a boy I don't know. I came across it. At Gerond is the Twitter handle. And this child, he looks about Mercy's age, 10, 12. And he sings this short song. He says, I'm doing all that I can to stand. Oh, but when I look around and see what's been done to my kind, every day I'm being hunted as prey. My people don't want no trouble. We have enough struggle. I just want to live. God, protect me. I just want to live. I just want to live. This is why I can't be silent. Because in him I see one of my best, best friends, young son. I see my kids' friends. I see kids in our youth group, our schools, our church. The sons and daughters of friends across the nation. These sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are our family. When we get to heaven, we, we look around at the multicolored, multi-ethnic multitude around us, praising God in our white robes. And God asks us, were you all brothers and sisters when you were down on earth? Let our answer be yes. Refuse to be silent. This is not because this is the socially right thing to do. This is the gospel right thing to do. The coming kingdom reality that God is ushering in will ask us, did you care for each other on earth? Did you love the least of these? Did you love the least, the left out, the lonely? Did you love them like you love me? Did you love them like you loved your own kids? I'm not making this up. I'm bringing you these questions, not because it's popular. It's on the heart of God. It's in verses like Luke 6.31, Matthew 25.40, Matthew 7, 12, James 1, 27, 
Micah 6, 8, Isaiah 1, 7, Hebrews 13, 2. I can keep going. When I see my friend Jeannie's son as family, everything changes. When I know he is young now, but when he grows up, he will be perceived as a threat. This is personal. This is unacceptable. I cannot be silent. What is our response when parts of our body are hurting? Looking at verse 25, 26, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, we all suffer. Lucidi, how are we going to be the hands and feet? How are we going to be like Jesus when he didn't shy away from the people who were not part of the in crowd? When he went to those who were hurting? When he showed up to be the good news? Jesus came for all. This is the gospel. And he created each of us equally in the image of God. An Asian brother posted a prayer, and I'm going to read parts of it. He wrote, I haven't experienced what black mothers tell me when they fear for their child's life when their kids go for a jog in their neighborhood or play in parks, but I believe them. I haven't experienced what black fathers tell me, that they're cautious and wary every time they challenge, they're challenged by a white woman because they know who the authorities will believe if there is a confrontation. I believe them. I will never experience what young black men tell me when they're taught by their parents to roll down the window to put their hands on the steering wheel and to avoid any movement when stopped by the police. But I believe them. I will never experience what black children tell me, that their abilities and gifts are often overlooked or dismissed at school, but I believe them. I will never experience what black colleagues tell me, that they're being followed on by campus, security on campus, or in stores where they shop, but I believe them. I will never experience what black women tell me, that they will never know if they are turned down for a job, a mortgage, or a lease for legitimate reasons or because of race, but I believe them. And I will never experience what black friends tell me, that their bodies are breaking under the weight of experienced racism, the chronic condition in their communities, and the systemic looting of their communities but I believe them. Lord, we lament. Hear our prayer. We usually end our sermon with some practical applications, so here are some things you can do. 
One, remain the community of grace and truth that I know you are, where healing can happen. Help our body heal. Our body is hurting. Remain unified, and in your anger, do not sin. Ask the Lord, how do I build up, not tear down? And stay at the table. Don't walk away because it's hard. We did a Zoom call for the youth group right before this service so that they could stay at the table together and hear from one another and lament together and be in pain together for each other. Do that for each other. Two, be a listener, a learner. Instead of asking a person of color, what should I do, or putting the burden on them, consider doing some of the learning yourself. There are many books out there. Do the work of teaching yourself. Join a book group. I was talking to Erin Wise, and like many of us here, she is deeply grieved. She mentioned that she ordered a copy of White Fragility, and we talked and said, let's do a book discussion here at New City. So if you're interested, reach out to me. Listen more, talk less. Allow people to speak into your life who have a different life experience than you. Allow the parts of the body that are hurting to speak, but on their terms, not on yours. And if they do speak, resist the urge to give your example, letting them know that you are, you're okay. Just listen. Say, I hear you, I see you. Count me in. Because being an ally requires us to educate ourselves, to learn first. There are books like Between the World and Me, White Fragility, White Awake, Start the work and don't stop. I'd like to end this time in a prayer, in prayers of lament. Maybe it's confession. I invite you to bow your heads. Give your heaviness to the Lord. Confess where we've been a part of this. Ask God, what do I do next? How do I pray and stand in solidarity with our black brothers and sisters? today.